Welcome to the Deeper Dive Podcast, brought to you by the OC Church of Christ. Let's dive deep into God's Word, learning new insight and taking a fresh look at the verses that impact our daily lives. We will continue with our study of the Minor Prophets by studying out the book of Zephaniah. Here is Greg Moretzky. So Zephaniah was a prophet for the southern kingdom of Judah around 630 B.C., uh, before the reforms of King Josiah. All right, let someone else in. They were made between 629 and 620. So right before that, uh, the first reform was 628 BC, second Chronicles 34, three through seven, second reform 622 BC, uh, second Chronicles 34, eight through 3519. All right. So he's right before that. So keep that in context as you hear these verses. Zephaniah's name means hidden from Yahweh, which could refer to Zephaniah being hidden from the evil kings Manasseh and Ammon. The book describes Zephaniah announcing the coming judgment of God upon the nations, as well as Judah and Jerusalem. Not just the nations, but also Judah and Jerusalem. And here's a an outline for the book, God's uh, wrath on Judah, God's rat woes of the nations, and God's uh, will for the remnant. We're going to get into a little remnant theology again today, and uh, that's always exciting to me because it shows God's uh, faithfulness to his people, faithfulness to his covenant, and that there's always righteous people, that uh, we don't think the world is all gone evil. Uh, because uh, there's always a remnant. Okay, and so this pattern of announcing the, the coming day of the Lord for universal judgment, uh, national judgment, and specific judgment towards Jerusalem occurred three times in the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah 1, 1 through 2, 3, Zephaniah 2, 4 through 3, 7, and Zephaniah 3, 8 through 20. So, uh, you know, you've got to sort of read in context. Is this a universal judgment? Is this one of the judgments of the nation? Or is it more specific towards Judah or Jerusalem? Josiah's reforms came too little too late, but it did hold off the judgments of God for a time. And I, I think this is very important because sometimes we think we're failing in ministry. And if, and if uh, people don't totally repent or we don't totally evangelize our city or our campus that we've failed. But uh, even putting uh, God's judgment off for a period for more people to be saved is a successful, very successful ministry. Do not delay revival in your own life. That's a message from Zephaniah since it can be too late uh, with the arrival of the day of the Lord. So this is one of the uh, renderings or artistic uh, depictions of Zephaniah, an old prophet with a beard. Okay, some key verses. These are pretty long. Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet 
and battle and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring such distress on all the people that they will uh, grope around like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. And there's the reason. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. And, and so there's some language there of uh, the end of time, but also, you know, the earth around Jerusalem as they knew it, everything around there. So you can take those verses in context, as well as they're a, a foretelling of the future. Zephaniah 2.3, seek the Lord, all of you humble of the land. You who do not do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Hold on to that. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Zephaniah 3.17-20, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you, and at that time, I will bring you home. I will give your, you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth. And so he's talking about the exile and then the return from exile. All right. And uh, this is just one of uh, artistic imagination, I'll call it. All right. So what's the outline of Zephaniah? Chapter one, the great day of the Lord. Chapter two, and this is good stuff, and this is a preach, corporate repentance. And, and chapter three, restoration from revival, okay? So again, I'm uh, offering this timeline for you. And uh, Zephaniah is here. Yesterday, we looked at uh, Nahum and Habakkuk, and here's Zephaniah. And then here's some of the other, here's Josiah, the king, and here's uh, uh, the fall of Babylon, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem here, etc. Okay, so Zephaniah's prophecy, chapter 1, one. Zephaniah shares his genealogy back four generations to King Hosea. Now, why does he do that? He was the only prophet of royal descent. Now, this is interesting. Being the great-great-grandson of a righteous king. We've seen prophets and priests. Now we see uh, a prince and a prophet. Okay? And so this is, this is he, he's got the inside scoop, so to speak. He's got the inside view of the kingdom of, uh, of Judah, uh, kingdom of, his, uh, of uh, God's people. And then verses two and three of chapter one, judgment against creation. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth. We've seen this before, that uh, there are ripple effects of judgment upon man because man is to, the caretaker of creation. And so even uh, the environment suffers, declares the Lord. God holds us accountable for how we live. 
in verse 4 of chapter 1, judgment against Judah and Jerusalem. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship. Now, there's one of the reasons, a big reason, idolatry in this place, the very names of the idolatrous priests. Judgment came because of idolatry and the worship of false gods. God is a jealous God. He reiterates that in the New Testament for us as well. All right, 1-7, be silent before the sovereign Lord. We've got to get good at listening. We love to speak. We've got to get good at listening. Be silent before the sovereign Lord for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. Please go to scripture to hear, not to uh, uh, filter, to dissect, to uh, even be careful. You don't bring your own culture, your own biases, you know, uh, Husserl will say bracket that, that uh, the only way you can get any sense of, of reality, he was into phenomenology, is to uh, sort of bracket yourself. And that's, uh, it's questionable whether that's <coughs> possible. But uh, I did talk a little bit about uh, philosophy yesterday, I even read something last night about uh, now, uh, because even uh, a lot of these relativists are recognizing there's uh, object, there's objectivity because we can, even if we're both in motion, if we can uh, calculate that difference and then it almost is like we're standing still. So they call it quasi-realism uh, 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 objectivity. And so, uh, you know, uh, those debates are continuing, but uh, the verse describes being reverent before God. Reverence is being in awe of God. And since we're a, not a high church in our worship, we're not uh, very liturgical, and we are, are, would be what worship uh, 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 scholars would say, casual church, uh, we, we, we've always got to be pursuing this idea of reverence, uh, being able to uh, just uh, get spiritual, be contemplative, connect to God, give space for God to speak and to, for us to hear, for us to be reverent in, in awe of him. All right. The Lord your God is with you. He is uh, mighty to save. We sing it. He will take great delight over you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Uh, Zephaniah 1, 12, at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent. Uh, it sounds like the death angel, doesn't it? Who are like a wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. God walked through the city of Jerusalem with light, searching for mockers and skeptics. One eighteen. The great day of the Lord, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed. That's judgment. So chapter two, corporate repentance, one through seven, gather together, gather yourselves together, 
you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect and that day. So he's talked about judgment in chapter one. And he says, before that day comes to pass, like the windblown chaff before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Zephaniah is pleading with the people to repent before God's judgment. It says, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, humility. Uh, perhaps he will... Uh, uh, you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. So what do we need? Humility and righteousness uh, are necessary to seek God. I just got through reading a great book by David Laird on contemplation. And we've, this whole idea of seeking righteousness, seeking through surrender, through humility, is how you come to know, get closer to God. 2.7, that land will belong to the remnant, here it is, of the people of Judah. There will be There they will find pasture. In the evening, they will lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. Okay, that's over by the sea. The Lord, their God, will care for them, and he will restore their fortunes. So uh, it was all taken away and it will be given back. Remnant theology is scattered throughout the minor prophets. God claims to always recognize the few faithful believers who are unwavering in their love for the Lord. Ashkelon was a coastal city that was destroyed and later rebuilt when the remnant returned from exile. And 2.9, the remnant of my people will plunder them, and the survivors of my nation will inherit their land. So by being faithful, this remnant, those that return from exile, uh, would be exalted. All right, so now judgment against the nations. Look at this. So when we wonder what God's going to do in our world, in our time, we need to uh, uh, reference this. 2-4, uh, the Philistines. Gaza will be abandoned and Ashkelon left in ruins. At midday, Ashdod will be emptied and Ekron uprooted. And then Moab and Ammon. I have heard the insults of Moab and the taunts of the Ammonites who insulted my people and made threats against their land. And then Assyria. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and dry as a desert. And we saw that yesterday. And then pride before the fall. This is the city of revelry that lived in safety. This is talking about Nineveh. She said to herself, I am the one and there is no one beside me. What a ruin she has become, a liar for uh, wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. So Nineveh thought it was impregnable, but we know it wasn't. All right. So this righteous judgment in chapter three, one through two, judgment on Jerusalem. Now it comes home you know, woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. Oh, mercy. Is that the city of Los Angeles? Oppressors, rebellious and defiled? Is that, uh, uh, that was the description of Jerusalem from the prophet. She obeys no one. So you got to learn to submit to authority, submit to the authority of scripture, the authority of God, the authority of uh, people who speak for God. Uh, she accepts no correction. That reminds you of Proverbs, done the stiff-necked person that won't be corrected, even with heavy blows. She does not trust in the Lord. 
She does not draw near to God. Where did she? Where did the uh, people begin to look to the Baals, to the, uh, the the pagan gods? What correction? Uh, when correction is refused, then discipline follows. Three five. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice, and every new day, he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. God is a righteous judge. So th this, this verse is a sobering one because it means as the sun came up today to, and uh, as the rain has fallen here to uh, replenish the land, so also day by day, God is dispensing justice as well. In 3.8, judgment, therefore wait for me. And here's that, you know, there's an, this is throughout the minor prophets, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up, to testify, I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. So he'd been holding it back. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. God will not be mocked. All right. So Zephaniah is talking about the day of the Lord, but he gives us some hope. Restoration of the remnant. He says, on that day, you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me because I will, will remove from you your arrogant uh, boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave within you the meek and the humble. So there's our goal right there. The remnant of Israel will, will trust in the name of the Lord. So meekness, humility, faith and trust in God. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lie. So they're honest. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. So always be straightforward. Some of us have a, a bit of a casual relationship with the truth. We need to have a very uh, pure heart and clear conscience about always telling the truth, even when it uh, makes us look terrible. The kingdom of God gathers those who choose to be righteous and humble. So that's the remnant. So what did we see in chapter three as far as corporate repentance? It takes contrition, which comes from conviction and godly sorrow. We know that from uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter seven, uh, right? Uh, about repentance and then purification and, and even... Uh, uh, there's a tremendous passage in Noah about repentance, and he just spells it out too. Purification is confession. That's why we confess, to get pure-hearted and, and, and soften our conscience, get those things, that weight off of our conscience, and to change our minds. So your heart gets convicted, you have godly sorrow, you are emotional, your mind gets cleared, and, and you get honest about things, and then there's celebration. Corporate repentance should produce celebration, cleansing, and rejoicing. So what lessons do we learn this morning from Zephaniah? The day of the Lord is real, and it occurs when God intervenes. And he always warns us. He, uh, prophets, his spokesmen, always tell us in advance. And so we don't know the exact time, but we know it's real, and we know it's going to occur. God judges the nations, and there's always reason. He's not uh, frivolous or impartial, 
uh, it's always due to their sin, and these are usually the three, immorality, idolatry, and injustice, okay? And uh, uh, sometimes maybe you want, might want to add insolence, where they look to other gods, I mean, uh, look to other nations and other means of, of uh, <coughs> success, uh, uh, of rescue, so to speak. God recognizes a remnant of true believers who never give up their faith. This is, uh, you know, uh, you've got to convince your small group of campus students on a campus. You've got to convince, you know, your your brothers and sisters that go to workplaces where they're the only Christian You've got to always encourage people about being a remnant, being that that initial mustard seed that's going to grow up into a mighty uh, tree that blossoms and is very fruitful. Uh, you know, we've got to encourage this distinctiveness, this idea of remnant. And uh, I know that we had it in our campus ministry years ago at the University of Colorado. We we knew we were a minority group. We, we knew that we were distinctive and set apart and sanctified, that we we're a remnant of true disciples on that uh, huge campus. And it uh, fed us, it fed us to dream and do great things. So remnant theology is very important. And God promises restoration. There's always hope, always offer hope and revival for people. As I said, all Church discipline has to be redemptive. So God promises restoration or revival for his remnant of humble, meek followers. If you are wondering maybe sometime in your Christian life, why is God so hard on me? Why, why, why does he seem to be pressing down upon me? He's really seeking uh, this humility and meekness that we learn meekness is discipline so it's self-discipline, it's self-control, it's power under control. And humility is that sense of teachability and, and openness and soft-heartedness and, and uh, teach, just you're, you're teachable, you're humble. You know, I, I mean, I, I correct people all the time. Just, okay, stop, listen, let me finish. <laughs> you know, so uh, humility and meekness is very important. All right, those are our lessons, and that's the impending judgment, but there's also a future uh, hope in the future. Any thoughts? Greg, I had a question. Um, could you expand a little bit on the day of the Lord? Because we see that quoted in the New Testament, and what correlation does that have with the New Testament and the Old Testament when it said, it has that phrase in the Bible, like, what, what connection can we make from that, from these? Um, that was a great message, by the way. That was amazing. It, it's always, it's a thread of God intervening. It's God, God, you know, uh, God isn't distance. He's, he's near us. We, we move and have our being amongst him. But uh, he doesn't always pull back that curtain and reveal his, his activity and his uh uh, uh, well, his activity. And so I, I, in general, you'd say God's intervention, specifically, you'd say 
it's it's often a judgment and it's, that's good for the righteous and it's bad for the wicked. John Oakes, would you want to add to that? I do. Um, first of all, it's all over the minor prophets. So it's it's clearly an important theme. And uh, you know, I think about in 2 Peter 3, he's warning us that the day of the Lord is coming. And he says, just like in the day of Noah, when they were eating and drinking, but he said, you know, when the rain came and the door closed, it was too late. So the day of the Lord always comes when you don't expect it. And when it comes, it's good news for those who are, who are rebellious to God. Sorry, it's bad news for them. And it's good news for God's people. However, God's people might get caught up in negative consequences. So it's a day when God comes. The thing is, the, the in quotes, Christian age is a fairly long time when we're waiting for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord for us will be that one last coming. So for us, we're particularly susceptible to not believe in the day of the Lord. So that's, I think, one reason why that we need to pay extra attention to talk about the day of the Lord. But like, like Greg said, it's a day when God intervenes in his creation. God generally does not intervene. He generally does not intervene even in nature, very rarely. But when he does, get out of the way. Yeah, and like you said, there, there's there's constant references in Luke 17, you know, the little apocalypse. And there, there are just so many references of warning like that in uh, the scriptures of the day of the Lord. There these these times when God uh, has to... to uh, move into our, our our sphere, so to speak, even more actively. Thank you, Greg Moretzky, and thank you for listening to The Deeper Dive by the OC Church of Christ. If you want to get connected to us or want to donate to the program, go to our website, occhurchofchrist.com, or contact us through social media at the OC Church. Join us next time as we continue our study of the Minor Prophets. 